while the deacons pass the Lord's Supper. You say, have you really got a text for that? Mm-hmm, I sure do. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11, and it's a familiar text, but I want to read just a little bit to you. And so in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 23, here's what we read. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Uh, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, the old King James just said unworthily, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself, and then so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. And because of this, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and some have even kicked the bucket. Now, so says the reading of the Lord's word. So what on earth does this have to do with what I do while the deacons serve the Lord's supper? Well, as you probably know, I'm sure it's not true in your church, but there are many, many churches where the Lord's Supper is pretty much a tack-on to a worship service. It's not taken all that seriously. It's just something we do. Now, I'm grateful even for those churches because even in those churches, there is at least the determination to remember the Lord's death on the cross in this kind of a way. But it doesn't mean what it ought to mean, and it doesn't take the position that it ought to take, and it's not doing what Jesus designed the supper to do. The Lord's Supper is a fellowship feast. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. As such, it is designed to bring the church together. You see, the Lord knew what kind of folks we were. He knew about every one of you. He knew what a scalawag I am. I bet you thought I was going to say what you are. He knew what a scalawag I am. He knew how easy it is for me to get in the flesh, do things, think things, say things that I shouldn't say and that are not acceptable to God. So he knew that the church needed to have something as a regular healing initiative in the church. And the Lord's Supper was given as the healing initiative for the church. So I want you to think about it with me a little bit right from the text this morning. What is it that the Lord's Supper is designed to do? Because if I really understood what the Supper is designed to do, you know what? It would make it possible for me to know what to do while the deacons are serving the supper. 
All right? So let's see what it is that he says the Lord's Supper is supposed to do. Well, first of all, look in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. The first thing the Lord's Supper is, is a thanksgiving feast. A thanksgiving feast. Now, in America, we have thanksgiving once a year. If we give thanks on that day, that's pretty well enough. No, it isn't. Not for twice-born men and women. Not for those of us that have experienced the grace of God. We ought to be so grateful that we give thanks to God on a regular basis. And so, it is a Thanksgiving feast. Now, if I were to ask you today, how many of you would be comfortable referring to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist? Uh, Let's just do that for the fun of it. Be real honest this morning and vote your conscience, okay? How many of you would be perfectly comfortable referring to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist? Let me see your hands. All right, good. I've got one or two. rest of you have some questions about it because that doesn't sound quite right. We don't refer to it here as the Eucharist, but maybe we should because the word Eucharist is actually just the Greek word eucharisteo, which means I give thanks, and there it is right there in the verse. And when he had eucharisteo, when he had given thanks. Hey, we have so much to be grateful for, don't we? I mean, look, we have been born again. You say, well, hadn't you read the awesome news in the newspaper? Yeah, I've read all that. This makes me more grateful to God that I've been born again. More grateful to God that I'm the object of His grace. More grateful to God that I experience His love. I read all that stuff, and and it's enough to put you into a psychological tailspin, but not if you know the Lord. And so, give thanks to God. While the deacons are passing out the supper, that's the time to thank God for every single solitary thing that can come to your mind for which you are thankful, but especially thanksgiving for the church of the living God. You say, oh, you just don't know. We got so many problems in our church. Well, sure you do. There are seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. Five of them were bad. Only two of them were good. And so you've got parts of those seven churches in every church. So you've got some people that are not where they ought to be with God. Sure, every church does. Are they going to act like they are not where they should be with God? Yes, it happens in every church. The church is not an exhibition hall of saintly lives. The church is a hospital for sick people. It's the only organization I know of that you have to admit how bad you are in order to get into. And so that being the case, of course we've got problems in the church, but the church is where the love of God will find you. And so we give thanksgiving to God for our church and for our pastor and for our deacons and for all those that give leadership to the church. First thing is we thank God because it's a thanksgiving feast. Now, you can take up the whole time right there, but don't because there's more. Look at what he says. He says, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say this is my body which is broken by you. Unfortunately, there are churches that seem to take it that way. 
and they want to break up the body of Christ all the time. But no, Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. In other words, the church is a fellowship feast. It's a time when we recognize that we are the body of Christ and that his body has been broken for this body, the body of Christ, that we might be together. Now, when I was a student in Hart and Simmons University back in, uh, oh, just roughly right after Noah came out of the ark, and uh, I was uh, called to be the pastor of a little Baptist church way out in the country out there between Rotan and Roby. How many of you know where that would be? Out in West Texas, you know that. Okay. Well, needless to say, uh, Rotan and Roby are not exactly the grand metropolises of the world, and I wasn't even in one of those. I was at Sardis. I don't know why they didn't name it Philadelphia, but they named it Sardis. And it was a little farming community. And it was one of those churches where the pastor basically had to do everything. Would you believe on one occasion I even brought special music? The deacons did come to me and said, Pastor, we'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that anymore. But the fact of the matter was that I had to do basically everything. And so naturally, on the day when we were to take the Lord's Supper for the first time, I lived in Abilene. I was a student at Hardin-Simmons, so I went by the grocery store and I bought my Welch's grape juice because, after all, we are Baptist, which is to say that we're getting pretty liberal nowadays. We're starting to in front of each other. But uh, be that as it may, I went by and got my Welch's grape juice. I went by the Baptist bookstore and picked up my Lord's Supper wafers and and uh, I got in the car extra early that Sunday morning, and I drove the 60 miles out to Sardis, and, and uh, I had got a couple of white tablecloths from my grandma who lived in Abilene, and, and I got out there and found the Lord's Supper table, and I was setting it all up there, and just about the time I got it ready, my kingpin deacon came in. Now, if you don't know what a kingpin deacon is, that's because you've never been in a small Baptist church somewhere. He's the one who actually has all the power and makes all the decisions. And so Brother Etheridge, who was a great deacon actually, a wonderful man, but kingpin deacon, he came in and he walked down to the front and he just stood there and he looked at the Lord's Supper table for a long time. And I finally decided there must be something wrong. I said, Brother Etheridge, uh, everything okay this morning? And he pointed to the bread, those wafers I bought at the Baptist bookstore. And he said, what's that? And I said, Brother Etheridge, that is the bread for the Lord's Supper. I said, okay. He said, no tank. I said, tank? And he said, no tank. And I said, well, that's what's said on the box. That's all I know. And he said, Grandma Warren bakes the bread for the Lord's Supper. Well... Where's that in here? I didn't see it, you know. I didn't read anything about Grandma Warren, but about that time the doors opened and in came Grandma Warren. She was about 86 years old and uh, she marched down to the front with a big loaf of bread and she stopped and looked at the Lord's Supper table and she pointed to the bread that I had there and she said, what's that? And I said, Grandma Warren, that's a mistake. That's what that is because I know when I've met my match and I just know to go along with it. So I said, that's a mistake. And she put her hands on her hip and she said, 
do they not teach you young preachers anything down at that school? And I said, Grandma Warren, it is amazing what they don't teach us down at that school. And I said, uh, um, I'm glad to see you brought the bread. She said, let me tell you a thing or two. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am all ears. And she said, do you know for sure that all that bread you brought was a part of one loaf? And I said, uh, <clears throat> no, Grandma Warren, I don't. I, I wasn't there when they broke that stuff, you know, so I don't know whether it came one loaf or not. She said, don't you understand the New Testament, young preacher? That is supposed to be one loaf. We are one body together, and it is our Lord's body. And you break it before the people, and you don't know where that's been or where it's come from. And that's why I break the bread for the Lord's Supper. I said, Grandma Warren, you're exactly right. I don't know why I didn't think of that. We'll do it your way. And so sure enough, I did. Some years later, I came as associate pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And we got ready to have the Lord's Supper for the first time. And I came out and looked at the table, and I was stunned. There were several things there I didn't know how to account for. I'd never seen a Lord's Supper table before with a basin there and a pitcher of water and soap what are we going to do are we going to break the soap and eat that what in the earth is going on a big towel there dr Criswell comes out we began the service and when we got ready to go to the lord's supper he steps down he pours that pitcher of water into the basin he takes the soap he washes his hands he picks up the towel he dries his hands in front of all the people and he picks up the bread and breaks it in front of everybody before the deacon served it. Oh, my goodness, Dr. Criswell studied with Grandma Warren, too. <laughs> I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw it happen. But, yes, I did learn my lesson. And if we want to keep the full symbolism, it's exactly how you do it. We are one body, and it's a fellowship feast before God. But it's not just a fellowship feast. Look at this. Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. It is also a memorial feast. You see, our Lord is not with us anymore. Oh, I know about the lady that saw him in the screen door. I'm well aware of the one that saw him in the clouds. And I am here to tell you that in a bit of it true. Jesus said, I'm going away and you will see me no more until I come again. And if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter to you, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who strangely enough is going to dwell in you. But I... I'm going away, and it's best for you that I go away. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit will not come. But they stood watching Jesus ascend up into heaven. Two men, who were obviously angels, stood there with them and said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that is taken away from you shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Well, he is coming again someday. But until then, he's not here. And the church needs a way to remember him. So when we take 
that piece of bread that is broken from the common loaf of his body and we eat it. When we take the, the cup of the vine and we drink it, remembering his shed blood for us, we are remembering two things. We are remembering his incarnation. The eternal God came in human flesh and blood. And we remind ourselves of that. And we think about him. And he shed his blood. And his body was broken on the cross for us. And we remind ourselves again and again and again of that fact. So while the deacons are passing out the supper, you are having fellowship with one another. You are thanking God for his wonderful blessings. And you are remembering the incarnation and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but look, we're not through. We've got to hurry on here. Uh, yeah, let's hurry. Here we go. Look at what else he says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Do you ever want to preach a sermon? Probably not. You may be smarter than that. But if you did ever want to preach a sermon, every time we take the Lord's Supper, you do. A new convert preaches his first sermon shortly after he's saved. He walks into the baptismal waters, and the baptism doesn't save him, but the baptism is a public proclamation of the fact that he has been saved. He's just preached his first sermon. And then every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we are making a proclamation. We are proclaiming God's Christ's death until he comes, okay? Now, I'm going to come back to that one right at the end here. I want you to see two more real quick. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The Lord's Supper is also an eschatological feast. That is, it has to do with the end. It reminds us that the same Jesus who came once is definitely coming again, as sure as the world. And while the deacons are passing out the supper, we ought to thank God for the promise of his second coming. Doesn't matter what happens in Washington, D.C. Doesn't matter what happens in Russia. Doesn't matter what happens with Hamas. Doesn't matter what happens with ISIS. Doesn't matter what any of that is. Jesus is coming again. And we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right? That's five things we do, but there's one more. And in some ways, it's the next to most important, next to remembering him. Look at this, at what he says in verses 27 and following. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And I like to say the old King James Version used to say, unworthily. And that was actually fine, but people misunderstood it because every once in a while... You'd have somebody, you'd pass the Lord's Supper out, and they'd say, oh, I'm not worthy. Well, of course you aren't. Of course you aren't. Nobody is. Nobody is worthy to come to Christ or to come to the Lord's table. Not a question of whether you're worthy or not. It has to do, it's an adverb. It has to do with your manner, the way in which you come. 
You mean I shouldn't just show up and come to the Lord's table any old way? Aha, now you're catching on. It's important how we come to the Lord's table. What's he talking about? Well, thanks for asking. Here it is. Whosoever takes an unworthy manner, oh my goodness, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Man, I don't want to do that. What, What do I do to avoid it? Thank you for asking. Here we go. Verse 28. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, failing to discern what the Lord's body, the Lord's supper is all about. And because of this, some of you are weak and sick, and some have died. You mean tell me if I come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner? I might die? Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. Man, does that raise the stakes? Oh, my goodness. Help me out here. What is it I'm supposed to do? Well, let a man examine himself and then let him eat and drink. The Lord's Supper is a diagnostic feast. It is a time for every one of us to look honestly into his own heart and see what God needs to take away. Now look, folks, you know that I'm about as bad a guy as it gets. I grew up in Texas, and the way we resolve things is if you don't like it, we'll meet in the parking lot after it's over, and if you don't own a gun, I'll loan you one from my rather considerable arsenal, and, uh, or maybe we'll just settle it with fists, or maybe we'll do a knife fight, and do it that way, and have some real evidence of who wins and who loses. I mean, you know, that's the way I do things. Not godly. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Oh, my goodness. So I'm angry at somebody. I'm unhappy with somebody. Pastor just irritates me to death. I can't stand that guy. Look how young he is. Isn't that irritating? And uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm down on this, down on that. Let me tell you what. The Lord's Supper is a time to ask God, remove all that from my heart I'm hurting Lord I got a kid that's just tearing my life up I got a grandchild that's breaking my heart my problem is I'm married to my problem and it's a severe problem it's a great heartache it's a terror to have to carry Lord listen the Lord's Supper is time to examine your heart and get all that out in the open. It's time for you to slip out in the back corridor back there. I bet you think we build those back corridors on a church in order for you to have some place to come in and store your hat and your coat. No. 
That back card right there is for the Lord's Supper. That's when you realize, oh my, I've, I, I really told that insurance salesman off the other day. I was unchristian. I got a calling. I got to make it right. You get up, you go out there in that back area, and you just tell God, here's what I've done. I need your forgiveness, and I'm going to call that man right now and ask him to forgive me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do I need to tell you what would happen if this really started taking place in our churches? If we really use the time while the deacons are passing out the Lord's Supper to examine our hearts, open them before God, and let God take out everything that wasn't pleasing to Him. If we looked across there and we saw somebody that we've had it in for, we've been praying that God would help them to step out in front of an 18-wheeler any day now, and we see them over there, and we know we're not right with God, and we just get up and we go over there to them, right there while the deacons are passing out the supper, and we say, Dear brother, how can you ever forgive me? I've had ungodly thoughts toward you. Will you forgive me? I've asked God to forgive me. Now will you forgive me? Now look, I want to tell you something. If the churches ever start doing that, scrap your visitation programs. You won't need them. You know why? The world is going to be coming in here to find out what in the world is wrong with you folks. You're doing things that aren't human. You're doing things that go beyond the human, that are supernatural. What's going on here is incredible. And the world will come to see it. And people will be born again into the kingdom of God. And there's one other reason why to do it. The failure to do it may bring sickness and it may even bring death. You see, God is a lot more serious about the fellowship nature of his feast than we are. And so if you want to be sure that you have another year to live, then come to the Lord's table the right way. God will bless. Some years ago, and I conclude with this, when I was pastor of New Orleans, we had a small church there, and so I could always tell if there were any visitors. And so on this particular morning, we were having the Lord's Supper, and I noticed that at the back there was a young man and his wife who had come in. I didn't know them. That was unusual for us in a, in a very heavily uh, Roman Catholic neighborhood for somebody to just come in and visit like that. And, and so I was a little stunned uh, by their being there, but grateful. And I noticed that when they distributed the Lord's Supper, that he reached out and took it. And uh, even though I had given ample reason for a person not to do that, unless he was a member of the church, but, but he had, he'd taken it. And so I had no idea who he was. But then he disappeared. And I couldn't find him anywhere. And I thought, well, my goodness, what in the world happened, you know? And so at the end of the service, as you know, pastors usually go to the back and we stand back there so you can come tell us what great people we are and how wonderful the sermon was. And so I was standing at the back and all of a sudden he's there again. And he introduces himself. He says, I'm Larry Trahan. And he said, we live right over here. And I said, well, Larry, glad to meet you. You're visiting here today. We're glad to have you here. He said, hey, look. He said, something really weird happened. He said, you know, when you, when you passed out that bread and, 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 and the wine? I said, yeah. 
he said, well, I tried to eat the bread. And he said, I knew you'd said not to, but he said, I tried. And he said, the more I tried, the bigger it got. And he said, nearly choked me to death. He said, you probably noticed I nearly disappeared. I did disappear. He said, I was leaning over because I didn't want to be seen. And he said, I didn't even try the cup. And he said, would you come by my house sometime and tell me what all that's about? I said, well, Larry, I'd be glad to do that. So three nights later, I drove by his house and sat down with Larry and his wife and told them about what all it meant. And they both trusted Christ as their Savior. I only used one verse, John 3, 16. was the only Bible verse he knew that by that time. And uh, after I left, he drove all the way across New Orleans and led his own mother and father to faith in Christ using John 3, 16. And then Larry got so into it that he would call me every night and tell me what he was reading from God's Word, you know. And so the phone would ring. I'd answer and he'd say, Preacher, I hope you weren't involved in anything. Oh, no, I was just doing my Greek homework, you know. Uh, and, uh, but I got to tell you what I discovered tonight from God's Word. He'd tell me something I'd known since the cradle, but hey, look, he was excited, and that was wonderful. And I'd say, wonderful, Larry, that's great. One night, 2 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. I went on a search and destroy mission. Finally found it. I said, hello. He said, Preacher, I sure hope it didn't wake you up. Oh, no, Larry, I was just waiting for your call. Uh, He said, uh, but something unbelievable happened tonight. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was reading God's Word. And, and, you know, I've been in the Gospel of John. He said, man, it was there. I was there. I was just walking with him right through the Gospel of John. It was almost like I was there. And then he said, I remembered I hadn't gotten the mail that day yet, and I just put my Bible aside, and I walked out there to the garage to the mail drop, and, and I picked up my mail, and he said, Preacher, he said, I'm sorry to have to admit this to you, but he said, before I saved, he said, I had a subscription to Playboy. And he, and he said, my Playboy came, and he said, I never even thought about it since I've been saved. I've only been saved three weeks, and, and it came, and he said, I just walked back in, sat down, started leafing through it, uh, reading the articles, of course. And uh, he said, after a bit, I just threw it aside, picked back up my Bible, and tried to read. And he said, preacher, somebody pulled the shades down. He he said, I could read the words, but it was a dead book. And I wasn't there anymore. And I couldn't get it to make any sense to me at all. And he said, it scared me to death. I thought I'd lost my salvation. And he said, I started asking God, pray, Lord, what have I done? What is wrong that this has happened to me? And God said, look down, look at that playboy. And I saw it, and I knew what had happened. He said, I grabbed that thing and started to tear it up, and then I remembered, oh, no, i got a closet full of those things. So he said, I went in, and I got them all out of the closet. And I said, what am I going to do with them? And I decided... I'm going to burn them. That's what I'm going to do with it. And so he said, I started to do it. And then I realized everybody in my neighborhood knows I take these things. And he said, I got I to be a witness to the neighborhood. So he said, I took them out in front of my house. And I put them down in the middle of the street. I got some kerosene. And I doused those things. And then I struck a match. And I put it to them. Whew, they go up in flames. But then I realized everybody's already in bed asleep. They're not going to know. So he said, I backed my car out of the garage and started honking the horn. 
And he said, lights came on all over the neighborhood. People came out, saw all those playboys going up in smoke right there in the street. Somebody called the fire department. He said, preacher, cost me $160 for the fine I paid for illegally burning stuff in town. But he said it was the most wonderful $160 I ever paid in my life because he said when the whole thing was over, he said, I came back in and I sat down and with trembling hand, I picked up my Bible and I opened it to the Gospel of John and I started reading again. And he said, preacher, somebody turn the light on. And he said, it suddenly came to life. And I was back walking with my Lord. It's amazing what God wants to do with you if you'll let him do it. And the place to start is next time you come to the Lord's table.